Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey. Hello. So, um, same as always, just before I suppose we get into it, um, I just want to make sure that everyone's staying safe, uh, make sure that everyone's still inside and washing their hands frequently and uh, respecting social distancing and all that kind of fun stuff. So, I uh, hope you're all being sensible there. And, and outside of that, I hope you're all, um, you know, uh, happy and well and all of your loved ones are safe and all that kind of stuff. It's really, uh, really is quite crazy times at the moment. Uh, just, I think it was since, man, when was the last video? Sunday last week. Uh, the USA has like got 100,000 new cases of all of this stuff. So, uh, is there any Americans that are like directly affected by it? I just kind of want to see like what's the word on the ground. Yeah, it sucks. It's yeah. awful. I haven't been out of my house in over a week. No, I'm, uh, I'm, but I'm near a, a heavily uh, area, so it's only a matter of time before it reaches my community. Says not being able to leave house is awful. Yeah, I mean, lifestyle hasn't changed. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a someone made a really good comment. I think I was reading a, a Reddit somewhere because I, I I binge read Reddit like twenty four seven. Uh, and someone was sort of saying that, like, to a lot of people, um, you know, social distancing is no problem at all. And, you know, same for me. I I'm sort of here. I've got a nice, big, comfortable apartment. And I've got plenty of stuff to keep myself occupied. I'm here with my partner and my dog and everything like that. And uh, to be honest, more or less, we're just have, kind of having a great old time. We've got plenty of food, so we're not really stressed. But um, someone made the comment that, you know, look, if you're alone and you have, like, maybe a smaller apartment, you, you may be stressed on top of that about what's happening with your job and how you're going to keep on paying for things. Uh, it, it, it's not a fun experience. So uh, if you do know anyone like that, I think it's probably reasonable to, I don't know, reach out to them, make sure you make the effort to get on Skype or something like that. Because um, that actually really made me reconsider this whole thing. Because to be honest, I've been kind of touting how fantastic social distancing and all that was until someone really put it into perspective for me there. So uh, I don't know, that was my humbling two cents. Either way, uh, onto a more positive note, I hope you guys all in watched primarily and primarily also and enjoyed also the video, enjoyed Oops. The video. Oops. one's echoing let's tag out oh okay there we go got, got him there you go indeed to infinity and beyond with mmt yes um oh and oh yeah so before we sort of get into anything uh we should all uh congratulate captain Locke. Uh, for for becoming a staff member and uh, despite his oh. best pleas not to be, he's been promoted. Yes, there you go. Savage. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna say like he's it's been admin for about two days, and uh, first thing he says to me today is, "Vaughn, you're gonna come to the live stream." He's already bossing us around. Uh, to be fair, Vaughn, the first the, as soon as I got it, Vaughn messages me and says, "Hey, can you kick so and so person?" No. Uh, no, in my defense, that guy got kicked. Yeah, he did get kicked, but not by me. Ah, right. uh, yeah, well, uh, that's all right. You'll you'll learn. Uh, you'll learn the ropes here. He did get he did get kicked. He'll learn the way. Yes, he will learn the way. Uh, either way, um, Captain Locke has already sort of done his his civic duty, and um, um, someone's echoing like crazy. Someone's echoing like crazy. Somebody was glitching out. Somebody Wait, was glitching it. out. Wait, try it. I think it was Mango. There we go. Mango. There we go. Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, no. Why are there so many caves here? It's hey, just, cool. you know, I know. I'm hearing all this echo, mate. Fucking hell. All right. So you should 100% uh, invest in this, this lovely feature called Push to Talk. It's the way. Anyway, 
Um, outside of that, so uh, as I was saying, Kevin Locke has so kindly sort of given us a guideline as to what we'll be talking about. Um, you know, uh, he's sort of given us the framework for the Q&A session. As always, if we go a little bit off topic, that's completely fine. At the end of the day, we're just sort of here to discuss things that we find interesting. So I guess we'll start with the first point. Um, <laughs> reserve banking uh, under the hood, where does money come from? So I suppose well, I, most I, I people would... that are on this channel or on this server especially are probably more or less well versed in in monetary theory and and how weird and wonderful the world of finance actually is um, but anyone actually sort of come to that as some kind of a surprise about you know just how sort of easy it is to create money nobody really come on it's gotta be somebody who's just blown away yeah, by it's that it's pretty fact. easy like it's a lot easier than gold because if you tried printing gold doesn't really work there's a it's lot more mining. effort involved yeah but there's a lot more effort involved there's a there's a whole process and cost behind it yeah and it's obviously of course uh, gold is uh you know it's inevitably limited there is only so much gold here on earth and uh you know obviously we can do space mining and all that sort of stuff but certainly it's nowhere near as easy to produce as, as typing digits into a computer um, so yeah, it is, it is one of those things where you sort of realize, well, we, uh, you know, we live in a world where it's not, you know, money doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's, it's more or less just a sort of a means to an end. It's like a, almost like a, oh, a lubricant or a catalyst of, of the world exchange rather than some fundamental piece of it. Um, but the other one I really wanted to touch on, um, cause I think it was really important is, is who here has heard that, that saying before, oh, if you were stuck on a desert island with $10 million worth of um u.s currency it would be worthless to you it has no actual value uh, and did anyone yeah, that. yes uh, did anyone sort of agree yes. with that line of thinking or does anyone still agree with that kind of line of thinking i, no. I do depends on what island you're on i mean <laughs> manhattan <laughs> island <laughs> so, i think it has so go ahead it has value in the sense that because uh, it's just a quote that explains to people in a really easy to down sense that everything only has value in a given circumstance. Uh, so value is a social construct. Yeah, va value is only created when, when someone needs it or wants it. Um, and on well, the Desert Island example, it's not it's not exactly correct in a sense because you know there are pl other places that want it as well. I don't, I don't know. That's that's my two cents. Well, yeah. Do you mean do you mean just in the, in the context of that example or just the the um, idea of, of money being worthless in general, or currency rather being worthless in general. No, no, no. The specific uh, question is so in the video, E points out there's the famous argument that if you're stuck on a uh, desert island with uh, a briefcase full of a million dollars, that's effectively worthless. Yeah. Well, the yeah. same argument yeah. could be made for any item that uh, isn't a bow and arrow, uh, some kind of like, uh, you know, a way, something that you could use to survive. Right. Yeah, of course. So, but there's still there's still value. The context is that there's there's still value. Uh, and in fact, I'm currently working on um a theory paper run by E later. Uh, but I'll just kind of explain it to you guys here that everything actually does have value. Uh, there is there's probably no item in existence that has zero value or a negative. I have value. one. Ah. I have one. What about I mean, garbage? What about garbage? Uh, like white garbage. Ooh, garbage has. Take. Yeah. Uh, so garbage has value uh, because it can't. Somebody has. To, when we have to get rid of it, uh, somebody has to take it, and so somebody needs to be compensated for that, and so that compensation adds value to it. 
Uh, uh, so does debt have a negative value? Debt uh, does not have a negative value. Debt has uh, so there's it's always there is a positive well, value. It's well, not actually, positive that, for that you, but it's positive for somebody else. Well, well, well there's nothing that has negative value. Uh, interest rates, anyone? Well, I would I would say like the classic example of something with a negative value is is garbage or things like sewage or, or waste products that people don't want. So you actually genuinely have to pay someone to take them away from you. So you pay exactly. garbage companies to actually take that away. Now, um, the the garbage itself does not have value. It's it's got a negative value. People want to get rid of it, so they want to offload it. Uh, but of course, I mean, it could be argued in an abstract way that it, that sort of provides a service to society. Uh, you know, that the process of moving it away and the service related to, to waste disposal is as adding value and potentially, um, you know, contributing to GDP and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, I would sort of strongly argue that garbage itself um, is a worthless or, or, or negative worth product. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd say nuclear waste is negative value. People want yeah. to get rid of it and pretty much no one can do anything with it. No, yeah, there you as go. Of you your waste. Yeah. As of yet, yeah, it, it tends it, it, it tends to it tends to be waste products of sorts. You know, obviously yeah, garbage, yeah. sewage, nuclear waste. Obviously, very on very differing <laughs> levels of uh, it escalated quite quickly in the terms of waste we're talking about. But uh, but yeah, you know, certainly, um, you know, there's some things that we we don't want to have. Mm. But it's more of on the idea that somebody will take it. Uh, so there's like. I can't think of an item out there, and I, th- I rack my brain hard trying to think of something that exists where absolutely nobody will, nobody could be incentivized to take it, and that would be an incentive. Communist manifesto. No all right, stop. Don't, don't <laughs> oh my god. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> an automatic cover. Ah, jeez. All right, so um, anyway. but yeah, I think uh, yeah, uh, my um, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, watch your video. Uh, I didn't understand anything. I'm confused and I'm a little bit scared. Well, you know that's that's quite all right, lefty liberal. I I would not expect anything anything less of you. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just making fun of your no. name. All right. Uh, well, look. Uh, I think um, obviously it's one of those subjects where I said it myself. It is. It's confusing to a lot of people. It's quite like unnerving in a sense it's uh, in, the, in the way that it's like that just doesn't make any sense that just can't be right and people sort of tend to, to reject the idea um and that is is certainly fair what actually is kind of somewhat weird about it is just how simple it really is just how like generic like okay it literally is as simple as opening up something and, and typing money in uh, but of course you know we kind of don't think about it like that we we are used to dealing with money the way that we deal with money uh, and we don't understand in the capacity that uh, an institution that actually uses that money can, can deal with it. It's quite weird. Um, and it is, you know, one of those things that, look, to be honest, uh, I'm sure a lot of policymakers don't understand it. Um, here, here's an idea. Um, people, people talk about, uh, especially in money-producing economies, I know, certainly in Australia, um, people talk about the national debt. Uh, it was a big, big um, thing in our, our most recent election that i just uh, wanted scoma to shut up about it yeah that's been that's been a case that's been the case for the last three elections really and also it's it's blown out of control vastly as well i mean you've got some people going oh well it's it's incredibly massive and we've got to get a surplus back immediately but as long as that's being invested where it actually matters that then it's not as bad uh, infrastructure would be a good example because it's incentivizing 
trading and also business it in a sense it's a return on investment and that's why i'm usually fine with uh, levels of debt that are reasonable where you start to go out of reason is where it's probably like hundreds of times <laughs> your own uh, country's GDP. That is where it's obviously... Well, well, even, well even in that right. case, um, according to MMT, there is no limit on how much your, your debt to GDP, GDP ratio can be, because in, in theory, there is no limit. Why not 300? Why not 400% of your GDP? Like like Japan has 250, I believe. Uh, Greece, uh, 170, thereabouts. So there is, in theory, no limit, but there are that later where it kind of falls apart when it meets reality, um, things like that, because of the loss of value in the currency. The limit yeah. is five. Yeah, the, the the ultimate limit is, of course, you you have a vested interest if you're a government uh, and certainly a central bank in making sure that your currency is stable and reputable. And look, if you do print it limitlessly, of course, it's going to lose that reputation very quickly. And that gets to a point where, well, look, you, you can print all of this stuff, but no one's actually going to recognize it, as we've sort of seen in countries like Venezuela and the like. Um, now, we had a really interesting question that I want to explore before it gets sort of um, shot off the, the edge of the screen, which was how does deflation work? Uh, which is normally the opposite of what you expect when you have, uh, you know, money printers going brr, right? Um, now that's normally going to lead to inflation. So deflation is just the falling price level of goods. You need to understand that inflation doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, you can print as much money as you want. If that money just sits in a vault or something, it doesn't actually cause inflation. Inflation is normally caused by money out there sort of being juggled around in the economy. So uh, we'll start with inflation. Now, if let's say the central bank prints a lot of money, right? Eventually that's gonna find its way down to average people like you or I, and we can, you know, we'll see that in either uh, slightly higher salaries, knock on wood, not in the, not in the last 20 years, but, but normally we'd see it in slightly higher salaries or, or more business opportunities, uh, perhaps government infrastructure or with more government jobs going around or whatever, whatever the sort of um, transition is, we'll make a way to, to get some of that money for ourselves. Uh, and that means that we have more money in our pocket. And that also means that if we do have more money in our pocket, that we can spend more on, on something. So, you know, if we used to want to spend $5 on a banana and I earn three times as much and someone's charging $10, I'll be like, yeah, okay, that kind of sucks, but you know what, I've got to pay it. That rising price level of goods is inflation. Now, it can happen in two ways. Um, now, in the example that I've just given, everyone's getting richer, so there's more aggregate demand in an economy, and that's what we call demand push inflation. So there's more demand, and that's pushing up the prices. The other one, um, which is somewhat concerning, is when it's the other way around, which is when you have a lack of production in a society. So let's say there's a terrible year for, for bananas, and let's say we're in a banana-based economy. Um, you know, a hurricane comes through and, you know, there's, there's only, there's half as many bananas produced as there would be in a standard year. Well, those bananas, you know, some people are going to go, oh, well, whatever, I, I guess I'll go a year without eating bananas. But there's some people that really, really love bananas uh, and they'll pay whatever they need to get it. Uh, and that's a supply pull inflation. That means you don't have uh, enough to go around. So what we really want to see is uh, demand push inflation. That's not bad. As long as it's within reason. Uh, people are happy with that because that's normally, you know, an indication and it drives a growing economy. Uh, if we're not producing as much and there's not actually as much going around there and that's causing inflation, uh, that's very bad. That quickly leads to, um, you know, things like stagflation and 
that may be what we're heading for now because uh, you know obviously with coronavirus and things of that nature uh, it's not so much that people are just holding on to their purse strings because they're scared about what's going to happen there's a little bit of that but you've also got to remember you know factories around the world have been shut down for close on three months now in some places uh, we're not producing as much as we were this time last year and that will also cause inflation while not necessarily leading to growth which is a really scary prospect now the opposite is ultimately true for deflation so let's say for example um, using monetary modern monetary theory um, we you know calm down on the money printing maybe we just stop it all together um, for a year and we um, still tax everyone just the same as we normally would that's effectively pulling a lot of money out of circulation because uh, people you know aren't getting money from the government in the same rate that they would have been perhaps welfare checks stop working or government employees get laid off so there's less money sort of swimming out there in the economy uh, but people are, you know the people that are working still got to pay their taxes so there's still that money being destroyed now that means that the pool of money in that economy is less so that means you know let's take our banana example if i was being paid a hundred thousand dollars a year and you know there's a, suddenly a whole lot less money in the economy the aggregate general uh, and obviously it's not true for everyone but the general sort of uh, effect of that is i would get paid less let's say uh, i get paid eighty thousand dollars a year because there's 20 percent money in, less money in circulation and um you know all other things being equal that's how it would work out realistically i have the same net worth i'm just as wealthy i've, I've effectively earned the same amount of value uh, but it's just in a lower denomination of currency because there's less currency in circulation uh, which means that my eighty thousand dollars uh, you know i'm not going to pay ten dollars for that banana i'm going to pay eight dollars it's still effectively the same but that's you know monetary deflation now the opposite end of that is um you know uh supply push inflation uh, deflation sorry uh which is when banana farmers just have a gangbusters year and they ultimately exceed what they expect to make um from their from their farming supply let's say for some reason i don't know we've developed some kind of new mega banana that that produces twice as many bananas per tree and uh we double the supply of bananas which means there's gonna be more bananas on um you know grocery shelves and and ultimately there's only so many bananas that people want right so you know there's gonna be the supply outstrips the demand uh, and the prices of those bananas fall that is you know uh, supply side deflation and that's actually also pretty good it's an indication that we're producing more we're producing more more cheaply and and that sort of leads to to overall increase in wealth in our society so if we have um you know more supply and also more demand that leads to good healthy growth what you really don't want is a drop in demand and a drop in supply like we're getting right now which is very scary so hopefully that is a very long-winded uh, sort of explanation of the different things that can cause inflation and the different things that can cause deflation Sorry, isn't there another kind? Well, not another kind of invasion, but one uh, where it's more focused on, say, less consumer goods. Say, um, in terms of assets, so inflation in or deflation, the asset prices and things of that nature. Yeah. So when we're talking about inflation, it normally is um, measured in what we call a CPI or a consumer price index, uh, and it's normally more focused on consumer goods you know hence consumer price index because uh, effectively you know household spending is the foundation of the economy uh, and look there might be a shift of, of what people are spending money on maybe if they're saving and investing more money uh, we'll see an increase in the price of, of things like assets shares uh, machinery real estate stuff of that nature um, and if people are sort of living more paycheck to paycheck 
uh, obviously it sort of pushes it towards you know consumable goods like well you know um, groceries eating out maybe some holidays or something like that um, but that's more market to, to market uh, generally when we're talking about inflation it's CPI and generally it's on sort of a, an economy wide level isn't the CPI super biased because there's the housing market and the other stuff the other places the money could go as well it is supervised. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the CPI is full. It's like a big basket of stuff, right? Uh, and we get to decide what's in that basket. Now, normally they try and make it as fair as possible. So, you know, they'll basically go around and say, oh, what does an average household spend it on? You know, maybe uh, we'll, we'll take in, you know, uh, insurance, uh, maybe, you know, mortgage or rental repayments uh, in, some, in some countries. Some countries don't include that. Uh, we'll take in, you know, an average grocery bill, electricity, gas, uh, you know, telecommunications bills, all that sort of stuff, all that sort of like nitty gritty stuff that goes into general living expenses for an average household. And then we'll bundle it all together and we'll measure how that price increases over a year. Now, um, weirdly enough, and sorry to keep on harping on this banana example, I don't know why it came to mind. Um, but anyway, let's go back to the bananas. Weirdly enough, in um, 2011, I could be wrong there. Uh, Australia had a massive hurricane, um, and, oh, 2006, wow, it was that long ago? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, in some year, oh. there was a massive hurricane, and our entire banana supply got um, wiped out. And our, I remember that. Yeah, and because of that, they, the price of bananas... $14 were a kilo. Yeah, it was literally so expensive. Um, and then normally bananas are in that basket of goods in that consumer price index, but they were like, well, we don't really want to put them in there because it's going to lead, it's going to look like there's inflation when really there isn't. Uh, if anything, I think we were at slightly, like, you know, a low level of inflation that year. So they didn't want to uh, have it. Uh, and things like, uh, in the 1970s, uh, you know, oil is, is, you know, petrol and stuff like that is a big part of household expenditure. Um, they would have taken that out because... You know, it was obviously the prices had massively increased. And I wouldn't actually be surprised if in a lot of countries they take fuel out of the consumer price index this year because uh, obviously we're seeing record low, you know, uh, oil prices, which is pretty crazy. I was reading an article on Bloomberg or something or rather earlier today that sort of said uh, because they have, you know, an excess supply of it, they might be starting to give it away for free and or at negative rates. So crazy times and, and stuff like that. Uh, does get put in and out of the CPI. So it isn't necessarily an exact science, but still pretty interesting. Yeah, I was wondering, with the American economy being, they have the infinite capacity to print their own money, why doesn't every economy just do something similar? Yeah, because a few things. There is ultimately, of course, limitations. Now, uh, America and, you know, in a certain extent, places like Australia, uh, Great Britain, Japan, um, they are very, very lucky in the sense that they have a very well-regarded currency. The US specifically, because the US is kind of the world's reserve currency, right? So you might have actually heard it. Uh, even John Oliver sort of uh, made a brief passing mention of the fact that, you know, our government debt's probably not a huge issue because we're our reserve current, like we're the world's reserve currency. And he didn't go into too much, you know, beyond that. Uh, but what that gives us the ability to do, well, sorry, I'm Australian. So what it gives Americans the ability to do is take on debt uh, and repay that debt in, in American dollars, which are universally recognized. 
people have no problem uh, accepting US Treasury bills and accepting US currency in return for it uh, because they know it's a good, stable, widely regarded economy. Now, in countries like Europe, they aren't, can't do it. As I explained in the video, they can't do it because they use a euro, so it's not their currency. They can't print euros because they, you know, um, don't control it that the, you know, the, the European Union does. Uh, and in countries like, let's say, you know, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, they can't really get away with it either because no one really recognised Congolese francs. It's it's shitty currency, and, and no one no one won't be paid in it. Uh, in the in the same way that if someone gave me ten thousand uh, dollars in US dollars, I'd be happy with that. Someone gave me you know the equivalent in in Australian dollars, which would be about fifteen thousand dollars, I'd be just as happy with that. But if someone gave me fifteen thousand dollars in Congolese francs, I'd be like, what the fuck? Not only that, not only do I have a house full of this paper currency shit, there's absolutely no exchange in the world that I know is going to take this. Or if they do, they're going to charge me a huge premium for it. I just don't want this currency. So um, that's why some countries just can't really fully flex the power of their, their currency, um, quite like the USA could, and, and to a lesser extent, all of these other major world powers outside of Europe. I... I also heard that the most central banks in all over the world they hold we they hold U.S. dollars, so that's why we depend so much from the U.S. economy. Is is that true? So some do, some don't. Uh, China, for example, has a huge reserve of U.S. currency because uh, they use that to help peg their their um, the currency pricing. So they use it to help sort of influence the the price of RMB, um, but. Uh, there are some countries that, that don't hold any. Uh, foreign currency reserves are normally a big deal, especially if you're trading partners. They want that as kind of like a, a little bit of an insurance policy. Um, but, you know, um, it, it's one of those things. It's not necessarily a hard and fast rule that, that all like currencies out there have, uh, sorry, all countries out there have, have foreign reserves. It's just one of those varying things because it is expensive to keep. Um, US dollars on hand. You know, if you're if you're holding you know 100 billion dollars worth of um, you know US Treasury bills, sure, you know they're probably delivering like I don't know some pathetic interest rate, like half a percent or whatever they are. Um, I don't know what a, what a 10 year Treasury bills yielding. Uh, it, it'd be god awful. Um, but that's money that could have been spent developing infrastructure or on some kind of social program. If you're not a country like uh, you know the USA that can just print its own money and, and get it to work. I heard something around the lines, I remember from, there used to be this like gold and silver documentary, maybe you heard of it, but basically the United States is in such a, like a phenomenal position in human history that it's, it can actually export its inflation. That's why, you know, they don't get hit with their currency because there's so much demand like internationally for American dollars. You can just export your inflation, but it also has an effect on other countries' money. That's right. Yeah. So modern monetary theory, the big limit is, um, of course, you still ultimately pay for something. You don't get something for nothing. So the way that you pay for, you know, extreme government spending is in two ways. Uh, either you get taxed for it later on down the line or, or immediately, uh, and that pulls that money out of the economy just as fast as it goes in, or you pay for it in inflation. Uh, now, normally governments, especially like governments like the USA and pretty developed economies, they, they prefer to pay for it with inflation, so they run it. Oh, who's, who's doing that? So I had a quick question. Yeah, no, six or so for part of the press, normal. I'm not sure who that was. I think I. Push to talk, please. Push to talk. 
Yeah, yeah, there you go. I think I just muted some some random person as well. Okay. Anyway, as I was saying, um, yeah. So they um, have have this ability to to do that, uh, and the, but they still ultimately do normally play with inflation, and they target an inflation rate of around three to or two to three percent a year. Um, so that that's fine. Now, um, obviously, the big drawback of that is, you know, if you print too much money, you're going to get too much inflation. Your money becomes worthless, and you end up in a point like, you know, Venezuela, where no one actually trusts your currency anymore. But American currency is so universally recognised that there are countries that will demand it. So people take out debt uh, in American, you know, backed in American currency. So let's say, um, you know, if a poor country does want to raise money it'll have to take it out in US dollars and pay it back in US dollars. And that normally means, um, because they don't have any other way of getting US dollars, that normally means exporting their own uh, resources. Uh, oh. And that also extends to you know countries like Venezuela, which have now adopted US dollars as their de facto currency. Uh, it means that you know other sort of institutions like you know oil trading institutions use US dollars as like their settlements. Uh, and it means that because um, US dollars have basically become the de facto currency, uh, they can run sort of these, these larger government deficits and it doesn't necessarily matter as much for them uh, because they do share that inflationary burden amongst the whole world economy because there is demand for, for you know, people outside of the US to, to get US dollars to buy oil or raise you know, capital to, to invest in infrastructure or even just to use the money in an economy that can't otherwise use its own money. So yeah, it's a great question, and that's why, because it is the reserve currency basically of the world, uh, it gets away with running these these larger government deficits. So yeah, that's the other thing as well. Um, is anyone, uh, I suppose, surprised or perhaps disagrees with the idea that a huge government deficit, like say uh, America's, given their position in the world, is is not necessarily a scary thing? It doesn't doesn't really matter. I mean. I guess yeah, I, I mean, do. it doesn't matter to me, but it will probably matter to like my great grandson. Yeah, how do you, how do you feel it's going to matter to to your great grandson? Well, he's the one who's going to have to pay for all the shit we're spending right now. Yeah, but how's he going to pay true, for it? But it, hopefully, with he'll be able to afford it. Um, you could just pass I, it on to his kids too. Yeah, there's the other answer. That's the answer. Like. One question. What, what's the ruling over the debt? Over what do you pay for it? So, where is the payment? I remember when I was um, in college, the one lesson that my macroeconomics teacher uh, taught us that really stuck with me was just pass it on to the next generation. Uh, you, you, you spend money today to uh, the next generation the ability to continue the process of perpetually, uh, um, you know, pushing the debt off to the next generation and the next generation. Um, and it keeps going on that. So in a scenario, let's imagine that the world ends tomorrow. Well, in that case, then it doesn't matter that nobody's paid off their debt. It's, it's over. Uh, so it's this, it's this really uh, strange theory of we just perpetually do this, uh, which when you think of it like that, seems totally fine. Uh, the one issue uh, that I have as, as uh, working in, with, in finances, there's this running joke that... Uh, we say that T-bills and uh, treasury bonds are secure. Uh, they're they're risk-free. You know, the government's never going to default on its debt. But we often joke saying, well, we don't know if they're truly risk-free. 
we don't know. You know, there's this, and and sometimes that joke seems, uh, you know, very far fetched. Like, ah, yes, it's clearly a joke. And other days we're just like, yeah, totally, they're not going to default. Absolutely, yeah. Hang on one second, let me just withdraw uh, or let me sell my bond. Well, the thing with the thing with treasury bills is, um, effectively, if if the government is still in place, it can literally just print more money to pay back those exactly. those those bills. So, um, the only instance where those T bills don't get paid out um is in the instance where there's basically a nuclear holocaust and everyone's dead in which yeah. case who cares um or it, well the risk that you effectively take with that is that well realistically inflation is probably going to outpace the returns on those so you're kind of paying in a way to to hold your money in those these very risk-free sort of uh things It's a very fun game of 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 musical musical chairs. Like like music can never stop. Yeah, and that's right. And look, in a certain sense, that's by design as well. Uh, a lot of people like the idea of maintaining a certain level of inflation, not only because it allows governments to spend, um, you know, like governments like the USA to spend uh, more than than they probably have the right to do, I suppose. Uh, but it also means that people can't get complacent. People can't just sit on top of piles and piles of money and, you know, hoard it like that. Uh, if you want to, you know, outpace inflation and genuinely build your wealth, you have to invest it. Uh, you have to invest it and sort of take on risk and, you know, sort of determine what's going to be prosperous and what's going to deliver value to a society. You can't just put it in T-bills or keep it in a bank account. Uh, you need to either, you know, start your own business or invest into real estate or invest into shares and the idea is that those will outpace inflation so it's kind of an impetus to hey you know you it's kind of like them jabbing you on the ass with a stick you know you gotta stay on the treadmill or you're gonna fall behind unless you actually sort of do something of value there are some people that disagree with that theory but um but i think it's true i know it certainly motivates me oh my god indeed all right. Well, I'm gonna go find out who that was. <laughs> nah, it's okay. He muted himself. <laughs> but you just had something playing in the background. Um. Okay. Uh. So. Um. Oh. Something. Uh. Someone sort of said if a currency is perceived. Oh wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Uh. Okay. Uh. Ult. Ultra nut. Oh wait, no. Ultra nut. Uh. Sort of did disagree with what we were talking about earlier, and I want to circle back to it because there's a few more people online now, and I want to ask the question again. Now he said over on the YouTube live stream, "Don't you realize that if you were stuck on an island with a suitcase full of paper money, that money is worthless?" Oh boy! All right. So uh, I can make a hat with it. I can make it an airplane. Yeah, you could make a hat with it, but of course that, that that's it getting burns into very well. That that's that's been that sort of annoying person at the party that that uh, that that pulls up stuff like this. So effectively, um, Ultranaut, yes, it is worthless in that instance, but that is not an argument. It's an extremely facile argument because it 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 is, does not sort of mean uh, that money is worthless overall. In the same way, and I made the same things. Uh, you know, a very expensive computer or a you know even a bar of gold or or whatever it may be, um, has no use to you on that desert island either. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't have value. They just don't have value in that instance. They're not valuable to you right there and then. Um, so 
yes, I agree with you there, and I hope that... Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. All right. He was just joking. He was just joking. Yeah, I was getting ready to fucking roast you. Nah. nah. Damn it. All right, someone disagrees. Is there something that does have consistent value over... Um, water. All hypothetical situations and time. Precious yeah. Water. Yeah, water probably. Oxygen. Yeah, water and oxygen. Yeah, water, food, food, water, oxygen, and food. Anything that you basically need education. to survive. Education. Uh, education. Maybe. I mean, if I was stuck Housing. on a, if I was stuck on a desert island, I'd much rather water, food, uh, and shelter than you know a teacher sort of saying eh, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Well, hopefully their education could be on a how valuable... to make a bow and arrow. <laughs> there you go. It could be a valuable education if it's survival. Um, well, yeah, survival education. Yeah, Captain Locke was quick to pipe in there. It's like, hey, i got to justify my existence here. Yep. I mean, wouldn't you want to have a Skillshare account on that island? I... Today's discussion has been sponsored by Skillshare. Get your premium discount. Uh, apparently, apparently you it's has... sponsored by Shadow Legend. Apparently, Obviously. no, it's been sponsored by EVE Online. So, you know. Yeah. That's cool. If they, if they could, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Only. Ah, yes. Okay. So, Elias Massart uh, over on the chan uh, over on the YouTube live stream also had a great question. Uh, what is the effect of printing fiat money on saving? Wouldn't it discourage saving? And how big of a problem is this? So, uh, I suppose this is probably a question better answered by my previous video on is this an economic is this the next economic recession? Where I talked about um, you know stimulating inflation and, and what it does uh, and the answer is yes it does affect saving uh, the the government and the financial community's response to that is good fuck savers uh, no one cares about savers because they are effectively sort of uh, these people that are that are holding up this money that's not otherwise being used in businesses or uh, you know being paid to employees and all of that sort of stuff so it does effectively discourage savings in a sense. But that's kind of by design. As I sort of said, if you want to build your wealth, savings fine short term. If you want to save up for a deposit on a house or a holiday or something like that, um, you know, realistically, you know, if you get a good high interest savings account, it might match inflation or maybe, you know, it'll probably just match inflation. Uh, but you're not going to genuinely build up wealth with that. If you genuinely want to increase your wealth, you have to go out and take some risk. You either have to use that money to invest into stocks or real estate, or you have to start a business of your own. Uh, and that's the way that you... Oh, or Bitcoin, okay. Um, sure, why not? Uh, we'll throw it in there. That is, you know, you're taking on risk, but you're sort of looking at things that are going to productively add value to a society. And that's why um, they kind of want to disincentivize savers through inflation because it means that people actually kind of get out there and use their money in productive ways as opposed to just sticking it in a bank. Uh, now, of course, it's assuming that banks don't use that as like a reserve requirement and all that sort of stuff, but uh, effectively that is that is why they, they do it. They, they kind of like that it, it screws over savers. It'd be uh, amazing yeah, if any bank has reserves anymore. Um, okay, so Cornbread had a really good question. Uh, can savings be good for the economy? Would it be dangerous to have a population without any savings? Really excellent question. So I like this one. There's a few things to pull apart. Um, so savings, in a sense, are bad for an economy in a way uh, because it's kind of dead money. It's money that's sort of sitting there uh, and it's also money that you know, could at any point sort of actually 
all get pushed into circulation and suddenly you have runaway inflation and it's really, really bad um, because, you know, we have a lot of people with a lot of money ready to, to buy lots and lots of stuff. But um, the, the, you know, uh, the point that you made that if you don't have any savings at all, that is dangerous for an economy um, because, you know, you very, very quickly sort of run into problems like we're seeing now um, because a lot of people don't have any savings. So, you know, they rely on their next week's paycheck and if they don't get it, they're going to be pretty desperate. Um, so what I like to use for savings in an economy is kind of the analogy of uh, car suspension, right? Now, if you're trying to design a really nice, fast car, and you know, I love cars, so this might all, guys, might all be lost on you. Um, how you set up the suspension is really important. Uh, if you have too much suspension, your car's gonna wobble about and it's gonna jump and bounce and you know keel over during corners and it's not really good. Um, and you tend to see it in things like race cars and supercars and sports cars and stuff like that, that there's not as much suspension, it's kind of a bit firmer. Could you explain what car suspension is? Uh, big springs, big old sprangs. Uh, I don't know. It, it sort of smooths out the road surface and makes it nice and comfortable to sort of stay in. Uh, this is my analogy, so so take it or leave it. I don't know how to explain it any better than this. Um, and in the same sense that having not enough suspension is really bad as well. Because if you have a car where you don't have any of those springs at all, uh, your ride is going to be incredibly rough. You're going to bounce around the road. You're going to, you know, if you hit a pothole, GG, like your car's going to get fucked. Um, and that's basically what we're seeing right now. We're in a society that doesn't have any suspension at all, and we've just run into a ditch. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's everything in moderation, right? Um, but you have to understand that ultimately sort of too much saving is, is pretty bad. Uh, what do I think of saving oh, using gold? Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's pretty old school, man. I don't really have I don't have any reserves of gold or or anything like that. I, I'm not a huge pundit of of precious metals, to be honest. Because uh, again, you know, it's just one of those things. It, it used to be really good as sort of like a um, a hedge against the greater market. You know, when sort of markets went down, gold tended to go up. Uh, it's not really the case these days. It's just another sort of investment class, and it's not negatively correlated or anything like that. I don't really necessarily see the value in it, but you know, some people do. The scary um, part is what's going to happen when when the gold uh, reserves finish, because I in, think in twenty thirty five or something, all the world's like gold reserves will be mined out, and silver follows in twenty fifty. So the question is, what's the next one? Is it will be silicon? Uh, well, I think silicon's much more abundant than um, than gold and silver. But uh, well, hey, you know, who knows? By then, we might have space Jeez, mining. And, uh, it's there's no economics no excluded books. I have a question. Do you um like unironically Bitcoin, or was it like um like your take of it? I think modern monetary theory has its limitations. I disagree with a lot of the big pundits of it that sort of say, oh yeah, if we just do this, um, we utilize it properly, it solves all the problems. We'll never have a recession ever again. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of the theory because effectively um, that that's how money works. Like if you open up the back end of a bank, that's how shit works. Um, so I think it's more, the point that I was trying to make at the end of the video uh, was I think it's more of a, it's not a prescription. So it's not something that cures your economy. It's not something that if we follow this instruction manual, we're going to have the greatest economy in the world. Um, it's more of this is an understanding of how it actually does work. 
If you understand this, you will be able to enact much better economic policy, right? So uh, in the same way that, uh, you know, anatomy isn't going to be the lesson that you learn and you can't cure cancer with anatomy, but it is very important to understand anatomy if you want to perform medicine, um, in a sense. So yeah, a lot of the teachings I don't, don't necessarily disagree with, then, you know, a lot of them are undeniably true. Um, but I, what I do disagree with is, uh, oh, well, look, yeah, we can just print our way out of any problem. That is ultimately silly, because of course, you do run into issues. Inflation, you, you either run into in issues where you have to tax everyone back, or you just run into runaway inflation, which, you know, uh, or, you know, potentially you kick the bucket down the road to the next generation. Uh, either way, someone ends up paying for it. Uh, double E, mate. So, in your video on the 26th, which was on, sort of on quantitative easing, where you also brought up uh, Australia as, uh, you, you said it was the debt capital, uh, capital of the world. Um, and you actually said that because of the fact that it never went into recession, uh, you essentially said that this effect would actually be quite fleeting and in return, basically make it for the net, for the next re recession, it would be much, much worse. Uh, and I, I actually tend to disagree with this because you, 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 you kept saying, oh, it's heavy debt, heavy debt, right? Uh, by 2013, uh, th this would have been coming up to only about two or three elections ago. Australia's debt was only about 16.8% of GDP and it was the third lowest in the OECD. It was actually showing great signs of recovery, consistent growth throughout it. So uh, I, I guess, what, what would you state as your argument in return? I'm not talking about government debt. I'm talking about household and business debt, in which case uh, we are second only to Switzerland. And Switzerland's a much richer country than us. They have much higher incomes. So my point. Uh, any suggestions? I didn't, didn't realise. into a recession. Oh uh, yeah. Well, look. Um, so so uh, the point that I was trying to make is that yes, in, in, uh, government debt and household business debt, two very different things. Very very different things. I, okay? yeah. I didn't realise you're talking about uh, business. Yeah. business and household debt because otherwise i would tend to agree with you yeah 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 uh our, our government debt's actually quite good and you know obviously we've had a liberal party that's been pushing for uh you know balancing the budget for a long time and uh you know if anything <laughs> that, that's probably hurt our economy a bit um because you know we oh, probably haven't administered, we haven't administered fiscal stimulus when we should have uh, but yeah look we our problem is with with household debt particularly mortgages it's just insane um, the, the amount of the debt-to-income ratios that we see in Australia. It's just unparalleled in the modern world uh, because we've sort of developed these systems for propping it up. You know, people with five or six investment properties, but they only have $100,000 in genuine income. But it's okay because negative gearing and, uh, and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah, as soon as this, this highly leveraged thing starts to tick back a little bit, uh, like it will, you know, obviously there's no auctions in Australia at all anymore. Um, they've put on sort of mortgage payment holidays uh, and, and rental uh, repayment holidays. But I think ultimately all that's doing is pushing the problem six months down the road. Hopefully, my only hope is hopefully by then, six months down the road, when everyone is sort of hit and has to start paying their debts again, uh, we're not dealing with the health crisis that we are right now. Uh, but if we find out in six months, we're still dealing with this health crisis, 
plus all of those interest, uh, those repayments start up again. Oh man, absolute, absolute bloodbath. It's going to be bad for the uh, the economy in six months' time from now. Once all those debt holidays are over, um, but it's going to be a, an annihilation if we still have, to, if we're still sort of fighting a war on two fronts there. I suppose because we're eventually going to have to turn on the spending taps when it comes to our our public sector in terms of health because we've it's been found that over time i think since howard about and this was alone back when abbott was in 57 billion just extracted right out and you keep having these minor reductions and so we're not going to i don't think our health sector is going to be able to cope with it. I don't think that our economy is going to cope with it because we've just had all these negative uh, factors just rattling up. And so... But the the problem is we're we're over-leveraged in non-productive industries, right? So if you take out a big business loan to build a factory or to develop some kind of new technology, normally that's okay in a sense um, because if it does go well, you're actually producing something to a society and you're building and you're adding value uh, the problem is we're heavily heavily leveraged in i mean real estate you know new core like new start you up know, a rugby club oh fuck me well okay well yeah okay i guess you could do that um but what we tend to take on debt to do is to buy you know a fifth buddy you know one bedroom in a city shoebox uh that doesn't actually produce any value to society beyond the sort of like i suppose the um, the housing that it provides to people, at the end of the day, we're kind of just passing this hot potato of these over-leveraged over assets around to each other. Well, they're not actually producing anything. Um, so that's my major concern for the Australian economy. Ah, no, maybe call me a pessimist, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a real problem. Hopefully. My, my... Yeah. Go ahead. Um, what was the uh, debt again you said? It was a household debt, is it? Household debt, yes. So, so where, can, for... where can we get the data? Alright, let's have a look. There are some figures that have said that uh, since about t- 2012 or so, Australia has been in, a, I, th- I think it was so, per capita per person. Yeah, it's been in a, per, the general yeah, it's been in a per capita recession, yeah. Um, which is probably telling. Yeah, okay, so... Um, just go to Western Sydney. There's your proof. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I hate to be that guy, but whoever asked where can we find the data, um, just go to Google, type in household debt countries. There you go. That'll give it to you. I posted one example. There's tons of data we could look at. This is just one little piece of it, of the larger, you know, just what's out there. This just shows uh, in the United States household debt service payments as a percentage of disposable personal income. So looking at a house on, on average for households. You can also look at um, the overall household debt to GDP for in, in the United States. Here uh, we find that it's been decreasing over time. Um, however, this only you know shows up every quarter. So the last, most recent quarter, Q4, uh, 2019, which saw a slight uptick from the prior quarter, but will be interesting to see, you know, kind of what happens uh, in this in this most recent quarter. Yeah, it will be. Um, it, it will genuinely. Thank you very be. much. 
Yeah, that's okay. Not at all. Uh, at the end of that, it's a good question, but um, yeah, it's, it's obviously sort of about doing effective research yourself. Uh, so, um, okay, uh, someone uh, video video said, "What would happen to economies that depend on the dollar as they have weak currency if there is inflation in the USA?" Uh, most Latin American. Okay, so this is a good question. Um, so, for current com- for countries that uh, use US dollars as their de facto currency, what's the effect of inflation on them? Uh, it's really, really good. It, it, it's quite bad in a sense um, because they have all of these currency, they have all this currency that they're using to trade amongst one another. Um, you know, perhaps they use it to, to import goods and services um, from, from around the world to, to keep their you know, quality of life up. Um, but they only have so much money. So let's say Venezuela at the moment has $100 billion of US currency in circulation. Uh, sure, you know, effectively, I suppose they could bring in more money by selling oil or whatever it may be. But if the uh, US government prints a, a shit ton of money and, and raises inflation, uh, well, their $100 billion is going to be worth less in comparison. Effectively, they're just like a giant saver. Um, that is negatively impacted by inflation, even if it is circulating around their economy. So that's a good question, and it will uh, unfortunately hit a lot of those economies that don't have their own currency pretty hard. Uh, but you know, I suppose uh, one of those things. Good for the US, not good for not good for those people left in their wake, I suppose. Um, uh, IFX2M. Uh, does the US printing money make China's dollar they hold worth less? Um, so it, it makes the American dollar worth less in comparison, but they uh, have sort of tight controls over their currency. They've got a lot of uh, uh, currency reserves, which means they can effectively sort of uh, balance, I suppose, and, and they do print uh, a lot of money as well, a lot of Chinese RMB. So uh, they still kind of get to choose where their dollar sits in relation to the US dollar. Um, but all other things being equal, yes, yeah, printing a lot of currency would have that effect. But just unfortunately not in China's case, because China's weird. Oh, yeah. Is the USA too big to fail, economically speaking? Ah, uh, wow. That is a very big and hypothetical question. The answer, I suppose, to anyone is, well, I don't know. But uh, what do you guys think? Yeah. Yes. Too big to fail. I mean, it's, uh, no, it's also it's asking too... the same. We can ask the same question: Is China too big to fail? Yes. Is yeah, India too can... big to fail? Yes. Are a lot of these countries too big to fail? Yes. It's just yeah. we're oh, in wait. a global. I suppose. Yeah. No. I suppose. I, I suppose, I suppose it's. Failure. Yeah. If your definition yeah, of failure yeah. is spectacular failure, where it's just go, it just crumbles from the inside, you probably yeah, that's that's it's probably too big to to have that happen to it. Uh, but if it's it can slowly fade away to obscurity. I mean. Hundred years ago, like if you Japan. were, yeah, if you were to ask someone about the the great Brit- like the the British Empire, uh, they would have been like, oh, yeah, no way, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, you know, the sun's kind of set. Yeah, but if it were to happen like overnight, if uh, if something like in the span of a year, the United States were to go from you know being a global superpower to effectively you know uh, a third rate player on the global stage, then yeah, it's. So we classify that as failure, but is anyone going to bail us out? No, it's more of people are just going, like companies will leave the United States, they'll seek uh, greener grass. But if that that happens, something would have seriously had to go wrong. Exactly. Uh, To the point where, you know, on a global level, 
Yeah, they've probably taken the whole world down with them, to be honest, at that point. Yeah. Not, not directly see through... a lot like... of migration and immigration. 100%. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd just see, uh, okay, let's go... Well, because we've already seen a lot of American businesses, to be fair, kind of move towards trying to push the manufacturing force that it has there, mm-hmm. or India as well. So we, you'd just basically see that in a more... Uh, in a... In a bigger but in spite of that you know the united states has continued to prosper um and that's because you know this is a it's a very it's a very large society uh, most countries don't fail overnight uh unless they go to war, lose the war <laughs> germany um japan japan um and it you know these kinds of event like it these are things that you see in history of historic major historical events are earth-shattering at that time though those events are are uh not just newsworthy but they will be remembered in history for a long time coming so in the an event of like the united states failing that's a, a it had to be something so significant that um it will be remembered for history and it will talk about it in terms of this period of time like post fallout post coronavirus yeah post coronavirus or something yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, oh, sorry to interrupt you there, uh, everyone. I am going to sleep. It's two thirty a.m. here. Um, so, thanks for all the fantastic questions, and actually, thank you, you guys. Genuinely, this has been one of the more civil Q and A sessions. Everyone was had really fantastic questions. Everyone's really polite. I uh, didn't get too out of hand. The the Australians didn't derail it for too long. Um, so, yeah, excellent work. So, thanks, everyone. Uh, again, yeah, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the video, and I'll see you guys on Thursday. Vote Labour. You mean, uh, you mean Sunday.